0: Tonight, we're going to talk about your giftings. You know, the world is so screwed up, and so many people don't have any idea what they were called to do and who they are. And so what they do is, like, uh, they they leave their spouse, and they go running wildly out of the world, saying to themselves, I need to find myself. And I also want to say, look in the mirror, stupid. Find yourself. What on earth are you talking about? Find yourself. You know, I, I've lost my keys more times than I would like to admit. And I, I can go looking for them, and I understand finding those. But I know exactly where I am. I just don't know who, I, who maybe I'm called uh, to be or do because I haven't understood my gift and my call. Yeah. But you can find yourself because, you know what? You know, my, my kids, I would always ask them, I go, what are you going to do? What are you going to grow up and do? And they would say, well, I don't know. And I said, well, if you don't know, who who could I contact to ask if you don't know? Because you know what? You're responsible for your life, nobody else. And wandering in the wilderness is exactly the opposite of God's will. Wandering in the wilderness is exactly the opposite of God's will for you. So why haven't you figured it out? Why aren't you figuring it out? And if, if you need, you know, just a good swift kick in the rear end, you need to start seeking God until you do find out. Because seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. So if you will ask, God says he will give. He said if you will knock, he'll open. He said if you will seek, you shall find. Now what's your problem? That's what God said. So don't tell me that God's the problem or something else. You're the problem. When Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you. And he says, and when you seek me with all your heart, I'll reveal myself to you. Amen. So we, need to, we don't have to go out place yonder to find ourselves. We need to look right inside here where the Holy Spirit lives. You know, the Holy Spirit, if he wanted to be vague and distant, he'd be out there. But no, he came and he chose to live inside our very being. And that's where the inward witness is, and that's where you begin to find out who you are, and what God's calling you to do. And so you don't have to go someplace and find yourself. Matter of fact, if you'd quit going all over the place, you'd probably find yourself a lot quicker. Chasing after all the stupidity of the world. So let's go to 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. Tonight we're going to talk about stirring up the gift within you. The gift is really a big part of who you are. Your gifting is, is a massive part of who God created. Your desires are connected to your gifts. Your calling is connected to your gifts. Yes. Your peculiarities and your specialties and your unique things about you is connected to your gift. Your identity is very connected to your gift. Your gift is basically what God created you for in order to do. It's not who you are it, totally, but, it, but it's partly who you are. I mean, you're not just a gift, but, but you're a person made in God's image. But your gifting defines you and delineates and distinguishes you from other people. And it distinguishes your call. And gifts and callings are connected. Romans eleven twenty nine says the gift and the calling are irrevocable. They're never going to be taken back. You're going to be forever held responsible for it. Forever. Never taken away. Never ceases to be a responsibility. God is holding you accountable for. Her. So the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. The gift is what causes you to be able to do the calling. The calling is the thing you've got to do to be in God's will and to be rewarded at the end of your life when you stand before God on Judgment Day and He can say unto you, good and well done, thy good and faithful servant. So we've got to understand that that calling thing is pretty important. But your gifting is what makes you able to do your calling. So it's very important. 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7 so you need to strip it. There's a whole bunch of people walk around. They don't have a clue what their gift is. It's so suppressed down in their spirit. If you're not born again, you know, you might kind of get this feeling. I think that many of the actors and the really talented people in Hollywood many times were really called to be preachers, and many of the really talented musical people were really called to be praise and worship leaders. I mean, you know, Satan was the praise and worship leader of heaven before he fell. And it's because they don't understand their gift and their call. Their call is to serve God with their gift. Yes. And they're off, they're off there, and because they're gifted, they're building up points against them and going to hell. Uh-huh. See, it's one thing to not use your gift. It's another thing to use it for the devil, the world, yourself, the flesh, selfishness, and sin. Right. and To pile up a bunch of money for yourself so you can go do ungodly, fleshly things with it. So that's what a lot of people do with their gift. But how about using it for God and people and souls being won, and the kingdom of God being expanded and an eternal reward and maybe being put over ten cities in the eternal kingdom, like it says over there in Luke, if you're a good steward of what God gives you. So our gifting is very important. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7, let's look at that real quickly. And it says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in the now, first thing that tells us is our, is our gift actually needs to be stirred up. It, it can lie dormant, it can be inactive, and it's your responsibility to stir it up. It's your responsibility to pull uh, the, 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 the starter on the mower for it to get started. Can I get an amen? You, you can't just stand there and look at the mower and think it's going to start on its own. You're going to have to stir it up and get it ignited and going. Because if, if you just sit around thinking that's somebody else's responsibility, uh, it, it's like my kids, well, you know, I say, what are you going to do? Oh, I don't know. Well, then who can I go to to ask? Because you're, you're, ex, you're the expert on you, nobody else. So you've got to stir it up. And it says, I call to remembrance, excuse me, uh, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, by putting on of my hands. So part of that stirring up is the gift that was given when they laid hands on them. Gifts can be imparted, or better word, is really released. When a minister lays hands on you. I can remember I've had hands laid on me, and something changed. When Brother Hagan at the ordination service, when I graduated from Ramah Bible Training Center, he laid hands on me. From that day, something changed inside of me. A gift was imparted into me to be able to teach faith and to be able to teach. Uh, along the lines that that school was raised up to send people out to do. So anyway, look what it says. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, this is still goes with that. This is not a different subject. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and of a sound mind. That is the only environment where those gifts can be uh, inculcated and then incubated and then released. Because in your spirit, man... There is no fear. There's faith. The antithesis of fear is faith. Timidity, the opposite of timidity, is boldness. And so when you understand that, and the spirit of fear is, is the root of timidity. And it's interpreted both ways. You can read one Bible that says timidity, the other one says spirit of fear. But fear is the root for timidity. But God says the righteous are as bold as a lion. So God's given us a spirit of fear. I mean, God has not given us a spirit of fear, it says. But power. And so he's given us the power that we need. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And love. Love is, it says that love never fails. Uh, that God is love. We could say so many things about love. But love is the basis by which God does everything. God is love. You know, I spank my children because I love them. I don't just preach you, you know, crispy, uh, what are those donuts called? What are they called? I don't just give you crispy cream sermons because I love you. You need meat to grow up and overcome and do what God's called you to do. Now, we give milk to the babe, but we give meat to the, the grown-up. We give sound doctrine to everybody. But it's because I love you, because God loves you through me. And then we show kindness because we love people. Uh, We may have to rebuke somebody because we love them enough to do it. I don't tell a homosexual it's okay to be gay. But there's many pastors who do. And they won't confront them because they're selfish. That's the real reason why a pastor won't confront somebody about their sin, because they're selfish and they've never grown up and they're not a real man. They're a big baby in a pastor's suit. (laughs) They won't confront people because they don't love them enough. My kids turned out right because I loved them enough to correct them and spank them. But to be kind to them and show a lot of nurture and a lot of love and encouragement, that all goes hand in hand. You got to balance it out. You can't just have all one and not the other. It's got to be very balanced. And so that love is important. But our gift... uh, It works in a place where there's power. How many of you know there's not always power in your mind? All you got to do is wake up six in the morning or four o'clock in the morning and you'll find out that your mind is not all powerful. (laughs) I've been waking up at like four every day for I don't know how many months. But anyway, so I just pray. And then love, how many of you know uh, that you don't always, just in your mind or your action, you don't always feel like being loving? When that spouse says the wrong thing to you, and you snap back at him, and that was not love. All right. And a sound mind, power, love, and a sound mind. But that is the place which is your spirit. In your spirit, there's power. That's where the Holy Spirit is, the spirit of power and might. And that is where love is. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, in our hearts, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And then a sound mind. You've got a carnal mind, and you've got a spiritual mind. In Romans 8, verses, I think, 3 and 5, somewhere in there, it says, to be carnally minded is death. Carnal minded, meathead, that's where carnal comes from, carnivore. Carnal minded, that would be, how many of you ever watched All in the Family that guy was called meathead? <laughs> See, he was carnal minded, that's why the old guy called him meathead. Anyway. <laughs> that's, what, that's the profound meaning of carnal minded. Meathead. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Spiritual. You got a spiritual mind in your spirit man, he's got a mind, and then you got this thing that has five senses and takes information is and has chemical reactions. But then you got this thing on the inside of you—that this divine, eternally made being that's in the image of God, that communes and is one with God, and his spirit and worships God in spirit and in truth, and receives revelation from the Almighty God, Creator of the universe. Which one are you going to go by? You're going to go meathead, or you're going to go that part of you that's connected to the Creator of the universe and all knowledge and wisdom that exists? I'm gonna go with spirit mind, the, the mind of my spirit. I'm gonna use my brain for things like walking and eating and all those real, you know, super profound things. Because that's what your brain is for. But your mind, your spiritual mind is different than your natural mind. The spiritual mind receives information by revelation. The carnal mind receives sense knowledge information by the five senses that comes in. And one is really good for some things. And, and the other is really good for some things, and you need to apply them uh, rightly so. So, amen. And so those three things are the place where your gift can be recognized, developed, and expressed. Proverbs says, a man's gift maketh room for him, and it bringeth him before great men. Joseph's gift brought him before uh, the, the king. Daniel, the prophet, brought him before king. Moses was brought before Pharaoh, And a lot of say, well, a man's gift. Now, that's a bribe, Pastor Bill, because some translations say that's a bribe. Well, I would, I would agree with that, except that over in Exodus, I think it's in the 12th chapter, it says it's wicked to bring bribes. How many of you know God's not schizophrenic and double-minded? Yes. He doesn't say it's good to bring a bribe in one scripture then say it's evil to bring it in another scripture. Amen. We're not talking about a bribe here, even though some people, even some translations say that. But you've got to get to the root core meaning and principle of the scripture's and see if there's consistency. And so when there's little interpreting issues where you can't tell what a word means, or, and sometimes they, they would say that it's a, it's a bribe. Now, I, I'm, I can understand that you might bring somebody money in, in a wholesome way and just bring gifts to people. But I believe that it's uh, you can bring all the gifts you want. If you're not talented and you don't have a gift, you'll get fired eventually. Uh-huh. You can bribe somebody to death, but... if but let me tell you something. I'd rather have a divine gift from God to promote me than a little bit of money to stick in some guy's pocket. Somebody say amen. amen. So if, if you're having problems with that interpretation issue on that verse, then uh, just know this, uh, that the other way to interpret that about giving money is a bribe. Uh, that's condemned in Scripture and Exodus. So anyway, your gift will make room for you. It'll bring you before great men if you develop it. I don't care if... It, 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 you know, I think about you know just performers. Sometimes performers get to perform in front of presidents and the Queen of England and, and important people. I've 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 met Donald Trump personally. I've met all the uh, the presidential candidates personally. I had conversations with them. Sat in the green room and eat sandwiches with them. Not because I'm anything great, but my gift to be able to address things in the political arena. Uh, Bob Interpath came to Oskaloosa and wanted to meet with me and he says, I want you to be on our, in our team and, and do these things. He, he pursued me. I never pursued, I've never pursued anybody in that but because uh, uh, I've studied that a lot, I like that. When I teach on it, people tend to listen and get some things out of it. I, I'm pursued because of a gift to comprehend and articulate things about governance whether it be in the civil arena, the family arena or in the ecclesi- ecclesiastical arena which is church. So, those things come easy to me. I understand it because it's my gift. Right. I don't have to work it hard as, as other people seem to, and so it just comes very easy. And that'll make room for you. Yeah. Your gift. I don't care if it's welding. I don't. And, there, and one's not any better than the other. Don't let anybody tell you it is. I don't care if it's welding. I don't care if it's if it's uh, teaching. I don't care if it's making a car. If it's creativity. If it's design. I, 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 I don't care if it, What it is. God has gifts, and we're going to talk about these gifts. So if you'll develop your gift, God will take you. It says, neglect not the gift that is in you in 1 Timothy 4.14. Neglect not the gift that is in you. How many of you know the gift not only has to be stirred up, but it can be neglected? Your gift can be neglected and literally almost lost out of your consciousness. You can lose consciousness of the gift that God gave you. And just wander through a wilderness of wandering and never using your gift. Your gift is what makes room for you. People that find their gift are the people that are famous, that are extremely good at things, and decided to stir up and develop that gift. You need to find out what you your, your and say, you need to find out what your gift is. Amen. Amen. Romans 8:28, the gifts and the callings, gifts and callings are partners. Your spiritual ability enables you to do the special plan of God for your life. God has ordained this gift before the foundation of the world. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 1, 4 and 5, and it says this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, did you know he chose all of us? Don't get off on this predestination thing like he chose some and not others. I can disprove that 50 different ways. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us, not predetermined, predestined. Two totally different meanings. Don't ever confuse determinism with destinationism. Don't ever confuse predeterminism with predestinationism. They're two completely different things. Destinationism is biblical. Determinism is ancient, pagan, cultish teaching. And unfortunately, it slipped in somewhere around the Reformation and raised its ugly head up again. Okay, so look at this. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So God has predestined us, and he's got a call for us. He's got things for us to do. I can give you many scriptures, but Jeremiah is probably one of the most profound and clear scriptures of all. Turn to Jeremiah 1, and we all know this verse of scripture. It's the same Jeremiah that says, I know the plans I have for you of good and not for evil. It's the same Jeremiah that in verse 1, God says to him uh, individually before he said it to Israel corporately while they were in Babylonian captivity. He says this in Jeremiah 1 and 4, then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before... Thou camest forth out of the womb. I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet. A prophet is a gift and a calling. Prophet is a gifting, and doing that ministry is a calling. He ordained him to that before he was in his mother's womb. These things are all orchestrated in the eternal plan of God. All these things are already orchestrated in the eternal plan of God. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Wow. And he said, you know, you're, you're gonna, you know people are going to give you a hard time. Don't be afraid of the faces. Don't look at them. Just know it. There's going to be all kinds of interferences for you to walk in your gift and calling. The devil would like to totally for you to abort that. He'd like you totally to neglect it. He does not want you to stir it up. He does not want you to create in yourself a consciousness of it. And to to walk it out. Because when you walk in your gift and you're calling, you're dangerous to the devil. Somebody say amen. So know that he wants you. And so some people will never be able to walk in their plan because they have neglected their gift. It isn't just going to happen because you have it. It's going to to happen because you employ it. And if 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 you neglect to employ it, then you will neglect the gift that's within you. I know people that were 10 times more talented in sports than other people. I can remember growing up with a couple of kids. uh, This one guy's name was Gary Hofer. He's probably the most coordinated, one of the quickest, one of the strongest pound-for-pound, amazing athletes I'd ever seen. And because he got interested in girls and drinking and partying and going out, he was probably 10 times better than guys that went 10 times further than him. Because he neglected his gifted, he could have gotten scholarships anywhere he wanted to go. He was so gifted athletically. I knew other kids who were extremely gifted athletically. They neglected it and they never developed it, and basically they aborted it, and it came to no avail or good for their lives. I told my kids, if you're if you're if you're athletic and talented, then you need to get a make, make it work for you. Get a scholarship. My boys went through school and they don't have any debt. Basically, their their, uh, their ability to do sports and they were good students. You know, they ended up with about a three, 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 four. GPA, that's not that's not stellar, Uh, but you know Rachel, her her gift is is her intelligence. She's 4.0, and and, but both cases they went through college and got scholarships, so they end up with no debt. How many of you think it's a good thing for your life to start out with no debt? I don't care if it's you use athletics, I don't care if it's whether you use sports, I don't care if you don't go to school, but if you'll use your gift, God will bless you financially. And it, because uh, it makes room for you and it blesses you. So, uh, but a lot of kids neglected that. And your gift will reward you. And, you know, another thing is your gift is really the person who you want to be. I like this scripture of 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It's right before the one that says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If all, all things are passed away. hold all things become new. It says, recognize no man after the flesh. There's a flesh side of you. That does not reflect your gift. Then there's the gifted side of you. The gifted side of you is your spirit man, the new man, the born again person. That's the gifted side of you. Because that's where your heart and where your connection with God is. It says, recognize no man after the flesh. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become... new. You know, there's some people that won't let you get beyond uh, that low-down barroom, beer-drinking, bar, you know, barroom-brawling, cursing guy that you used to be. They don't want you to go beyond that because they don't want you to go beyond where they're at. Yeah. They want to hold you back in that dirty ground, that lower place. But I'm not that person anymore. I, I thought the F word was an adjective, an adverb... And I thought you could use the F word for everything before I got saved. And my parents didn't teach me that. I learned it from my friends. Right. Right. And you know what? God changed that. And, then... and, and, and I'd rather be the Bill Tweed that doesn't use it for, for an adjective and <laughs> an adverb and, and every use. I, I, because you know what? I'm a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen. And if I let myself, I could go right back to that. Don't kid yourselves, people. So would all of you. We all can go right back to what we used to be. And the people of the world want want to pull us back into that pit. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Amen. See, and that's where your gift. Don't recognize any man after the flesh. See, Samson, he was a guy. How many of you know Samson had a sexual problem? I mean, the guy was called to be a judge in Israel, and he was t- He was dating prostitutes and married one. How many would say he had a little bit of a sexual addiction or something going on there? Samson had some sexual problems. He was hanging out with the wrong type of women. And then there was, you know, a binding, a blinding, and then he did some grinding because of it. But see, recognize... No man after that. But then, when the anointing would come upon Samson, how many remember it says the hand of the Lord would come upon him? It says that probably about five times in Judges. And that's the hand of the Lord is the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit upon for empowerment. And the Spirit would come upon him, and he would do mighty works that we're still talking about today, thousands of years later. And he did mighty works for God's kingdom and was used mightily of God recognize no man after the flesh. See, if we only recognize Samson after the flesh, all we'd know about Samson is he's this guy that had sexual problems. But what, how do we recognize? We recognize Samson is the great judge in Israel who did mighty things. Now, we recognize he had some flesh and he had some fleshly problems and he had some sexual appetite problems. But don't, you don't recognize somebody after that because you know what? Then you're siding with the devil about at the wrong side of him. Somebody say amen. And, I, you know, Brother Barclay said this one time, Mark Barclay. He said he had a guy come up and he said, Okay, all right. Now we really know what one of your churchgoers is really like. I saw him walk out of the liquor store the other night. So I guess now we really know who he really is. He's some guy that's got an alcohol problem. And Brother Barclay says, No, that's not right. That's not right. You don't know anything about him. He came to me in tears. And he said that, you know what? And the guy went on and said, well, he's a big hypocrite. He comes to church, and he looks like he's so pious, and he sits there, and he, and he takes notes, and he listens to your sermons. But I saw him the other night coming out of the liquor store. And so now we know who the real you know, person is. He's not Mr. Churchgoer. He's Mr. Behind-the-Scene Drinker. He's Probably got an alcohol problem. Is that type of people go to your church? No, no. He says, he came to me, and he said he fell back into that. And he said he hates that part of his life, and that occasionally he has fallen back into that. And he's already told me about it. And he says, I hate the person. He says, I absolutely hate that person that falls into a place of weakness and goes into the liquor store and falls back into his old patterns and gets some liquor and goes home and miserably drinks a fifth of whiskey all alone in his absolute self-despising despic- state. He says who he really is and who he really likes to be and who he really wants to be is that guy that gets victory and shows up at church and gets edified, loves going to church, and that's the real him. It's his flesh that drags him back into that liquor store every once in a while. So a lot of people say, well, that's the real him. No, it isn't. That's not the real him. That's the person that he hates, and that's the person that he's fighting with. Paul said, I, the thing I desire to do, I do not do, and the very thing I don't want to do, I do, and I see two different laws. One, the law that is warring in the members of my body, but then I see another law after the inward man, and that is the law of righteousness, but there's no good thing that dwells in my flesh. So let's not recognize anybody after flesh, because you know what? Your gift doesn't exist in your flesh. You need to find out who your spirit man is and get in sync with him because he's the one that's going to take you where you want to go in life. Amen. Everyone has a gift from God. In Ephesians 4, it gives the gifts of uh, the ministry gifts. The five, there's five ministry gifts. There's seven motivational gifts. The ministry gifts are the leaders, has sent church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Are the, uh, not just perfecting. Perfecting means bring to completeness. It doesn't mean make you like you're perfect. It means it makes you mature. And it's also for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. My work is to get you to do your work. My gift is to unlock your gift. My job is to be the coach to get you out on the field and play the game right. Does that make sense? See, I'm not supposed to be just out there doing it with you all the time. I'm supposed to help you get out there and begin to do what your gift and calling is. And the Greek word literally means is to unlock your gift. Motivational gifts. There's seven motivational gifts over there. And that's more the layman's gifts. Well, Pastor Bill, you know, well, let's just turn there. We're going to just take time. We aren't going to get through with this tonight. We're going to pick this up next week. But look what it says there. We're in Romans. 12. Is anybody getting anything out of this tonight? Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, and it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. Now, this is talking about lay people, according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Now, that's where we get the word deacon, ministry, or serving. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation." He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. See, God addresses the ministry gifts like in the pastoral epistles. God makes a distinction between uh, your gift gifting, if you're prophetically gifted, versus being a prophet. See, you go over there to the 26th chapter of Acts, and it says. Now there was a certain prophet by the name of Agabus, and he had four daughters which did prophesy. There's a difference between being a prophet and having a full time ministry, where you're fully consecrated to God and you've left all for the sake of the gospel, and you make uh, your ministry, you make your living by ministry. He that preaches the gospel is to live by it, says. And so that's one thing to be a prophet, and then it's another thing to have four daughters that prophesy. There is a layman's prophecy because it says in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 14, 3, 4, it says that he that prophesies does so unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. A real prophet has a preaching ministry and operates in the gifts of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and discerning of spirits usually. So we've got all these different gifts. You can prophesy and not be a prophet is what I'm saying. I've had certain women come up and because they've had a few uh, anointings to prophesy over some other ladies, all of a sudden now they think they're a prophetess. Jezebel called herself a prophetess. She was not recognized as such by other ministers. In other words, she was a phony. And she was all about seducing men. And God says, if you don't quit doing it, I'll I'll let your children all be killed. So prophecy is a gifting that you can have. And we can go into a lot of detail. Okay, how many of you know Timothy? It says, do the work... Paul told Timothy do the work of an evangelist. He never said Timothy was an evangelist. It does clearly say that Philip was an evangelist. He told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. So there are evangelists, and there's people who do the work of an evangelist. There are prophets, and there are people who may have the gift of prophesying. That is the difference between a five-fold, full-time, fully consecrated, how they make their living, ministry gift, versus someone who has these flavors and these layman giftings in their lives. Somebody say amen. Amen. So you've got five ministry gifts. You've got seven motivational gifts. That equals 12, the same number of the 12 apostles. And if you look at that, you can see that in those gifts, a lot of them reflect like ministering or ruling or teaching. You know, I, for many years, uh, you know, you, you can teach Sunday school class. A pastor can get curriculum and he can tell you basically this is what we want taught in our sunday school classes and that sunday school teacher takes that curriculum and he goes and he can teach it to the people that is a lay teacher miss jean Lamferman, she teaches our children's church we give her a lot of leeway she can create her own curriculum she can but she uses primarily curriculum that we approve and she knows the direction and she teaches after our heart and so she doesn't go start teaching, you know, a whole different direction than the church is going. She, she isn't teaching that we need to go build a new building someplace. Or she isn't teaching some new doctrine that I, do, I would not have her. Now, she, her teaching is a subordinated subset of my teaching. Amen. And so that's what it means to be a teacher in the motivational context not the ministry gift content. Now, the ministry gift, he gets teaching directly from God for the congregation. It has directionality to it. He, the teaching that I give you will also guide you as a congregation towards certain ends, goals, and visionary uh, things that God has called us to do. Can I get an amen? But don't you take that on because you're not called or anointed or appointed to do that. Your call as a teacher in this church, if you were to be a teacher, would be a subordinated type of teaching that is for the motivational layman type of gifting, not the leadership fivefold ministry gifting. Somebody say amen. So, but we all have gifts. Some of us are fivefold gifts. Some of us have, I have motivational giftings too. And so that is part of my call. I have prophetic and teaching in mine and pastoral, but. There are different types of gifts, and when we need, how many of you know we need to rightly divide the word of truth? Amen. And I just throw all the gifts into one big bag, shake it all up, and spew it out as a confused mess. Rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide, delineate, distinguish, make clear lines of distinction. And so the gifts of the Spirit are a whole nother thing. We won't go into that tonight. You pretty much know what those are. So when does uh, this gift uh, exist develop and flow from our spirit. It exists in our spirit. Paul said this. Turn with me to Romans 1, nine. Tonight we're just teaching. We're just talking about your gift. You need to know about your giftings. That's how we will know how to employ you in the work of the kingdom of God. Right. For God is my witness whom I serve with my head and my intellect. Oh, wait. With my body. No, wait. Oh, excuse me. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. My spirit. God is a spirit. They that worship him will do so in spirit. Truth. We are spirits. The Lord God sanctify you holy, Spirit, soul, and body. First, you're a spirit. You have a mind or a soul. And you live in a body. You serve God with your spirit, man first and foremost. You know, it tells you to renew your mind. Who's the you renewing your mind? Who, Who renews your mind? The real you, that's your spirit. You renew your mind. Your mind doesn't renew your spirit. It says that we are to renew our mind. We're not a mind, we're a spirit with a mind that needs to be renewed. Somebody say amen. So the spirit is the real you. These people need to go find themselves. They need to just go look in the mirror and say, you know what? I just found myself. I'm living inside this body, and I have a mind that needs to be renewed, and i got a spirit that needs to be born again. i got a flesh that needs to be put under and employed for the work of God. Amen. And so that's how we, if you want to say, use that term, find ourselves. I don't even like that term. But why our spirit? Let's look at our spirit. The Bible says our spirit, man, is righteous and holy. Now your flesh isn't righteous and holy. Your mind, isn't it, needs to be renewed. Your flesh needs to be put under. But your spirit is righteous and holy. It says that we're created after God in true righteousness and holiness. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Paul said in Ephesians 4. Renew your mind. Our, number two, another reason why we can trust uh, our spirit man, not only because it's born again and it's righteous and it's holy, but the Holy Spirit is joined to our spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with us. The Lord, first Corinthians six, seventeen. You are Siamese twins with God. Your spirit and the Spirit of God are joined together and made one. That's what the Bible says. Everybody get that? Everybody listen to that? Smith Willsworth says, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Me and God are a majority in a, in any situation if god before you who can be against you 2nd right. Corinthians 4.13. we have the spirit of faith the bible says see if it's in your mind you know the, the, what does the bible say about your mind the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through god to the casting down of imaginations and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ well if we got to cast down imaginations we got to we got to have this wrestling match to get every thought into you know bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If we're having this big of a wrestling match with our mind, certainly our mind is not the part of our being that we minister out of. Now, our mind is good. It's where we learn Scripture, where we memorize, where we, where we meditate on it, where we, have, we store information. But it's not what drives us on how to use that information, how to employ that information. Our spirit man, your heart, is what guides you and directs you. Your heart is where you start recognizing where your gifting comes from. God has made it so that we can serve with our spirit man and we can transcend our mind. How I many our mind needs to be transcended sometimes. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So your thoughts is what determines your ways. That's why he says both of those things. For his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. Even as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts, and his ways above our ways. That's why in Joshua 1.8, it says, you've got to change your thoughts and your ways. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy ways prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. See, you change your mind by meditating and speaking. You change your thoughts, and then you change your ways. Then thou shalt make thy ways Prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. How many of you know when people say you need to change your ways, that's biblical. We need to change our ways, but you got to change your thoughts to change your ways. Your ways don't change until you change your thoughts and renew your mind. See, and that's why he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the to the power that works within us. So, said all that to say this: our spirit man takes us above our thoughts. It takes us above our ways, and it empowers us to operate in a more transcendent way that God wouldn't put our spirit in charge of renewing our mind if it wasn't above it. One person says our flesh needs to be a slave to our mind, and our mind needs to be a servant to our spirit. There's a hierarchical, uh, linear you know, line of authority there. And as long as you're ruled by your spirit you'll renew your mind and you'll bring your flesh under. If you're ruled by your flesh or your mind, you'll be in trouble.